Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, August 15th, 2022, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today we are continuing our study on the book of Genesis, and we'll specifically be looking at Genesis chapter 17 through Genesis chapter 18, verse 15, at the covenant-making God. And so as we enter into Genesis 17, we see it's been 13 years since the failure of Abram and Sarai's faith with Hagar and Ishmael. God had made a covenant with Abram in Genesis 15, but not believing that the Lord would accomplish what he promised, Sarai and Abram take matters into their own hands. They would have been 86 and 76 when the covenant was made, but now they are 99 and 89. God's covenant seems impossible to keep as Abram and Sarai get older and older and older. However, we serve a covenant-keeping and faithful God who will do exactly what He promises and will always be true to His nature. We see as the Lord renews His covenant that the Lord has the final word in our failure. We take matters in our own hands, not trusting in God's faithfulness. And in the end, we make a mess of things. But as we see, the Lord always brings beauty from ashes to be true to His character and to His name. So with that, let's look at Genesis chapter 17 through Genesis chapter 18, verse 15. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Notice with all the pronoun confusion that we have in our current age, this is not pronoun confusion. This is God saying, I will not just be your God, Abram, but I will be their God. I will be the multitude. I will be your progenities. God. He will be our God. Beloved, if you're listening to this today, he is your God because of the Abrahamic covenant that is renewed in Genesis 17. Picking up in verse nine, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. And uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. The, then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house and bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of the house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And as he sat in the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be bought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milks and the calf he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed at herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. I hope that we see that we serve a covenant-making God. He is true to his word and he is faithful to execute. However, the fulfillment of his promise and his faithfulness are not always on our timetable. We are impatient and impetuous, just like Abraham and Sarah. We do not like to wait and we want instant gratification. The truth is that the Lord wants us dependent on him and completely satisfied in him. He is more interested in our character, our holiness, and our dependence on him than the timing of a blessing or promise. So now 13 years after Ishmael had been born, he's a teenager, and Abram had taken matters into his own hands in order to get a descendant. The Lord comes to renew his covenant. And we see through this passage four stages of this renewal. The first is the renewal of the covenant. The second is the conditions of the covenant. The third is Abraham's response to the covenant. And then fourth is the impossibility of human flesh to accomplish the covenant. So first we see the renewal of the covenant. The Lord gives three promises of this covenant for Abraham and ultimately for us. First, God promises numerous descendants. 
Genesis 17, 5 through 6. He said, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. You see, God promises a new name, a new status and a new identity with God. He changes the names of Abraham, meaning father of many nations. And then he changes Sarai's name as well. And and this one seems a lot more subtle. There's just an I that goes to an H. And while it might look subtle, Sarah meant princess worthy of dynasty. But when you add the H to Sarah, it adds possessiveness. In other words, her name now meant the Lord's princess worthy of a dynasty. Do you see the personal nature of God in renewing his covenant? It wasn't just a renewal. He was personally coming and saying, Abraham, no, you will be the father. And Sarah, you will be not just a princess. You will be my princess worthy of a dynasty. Many nations will come from Abraham and Sarah. And this is an everlasting covenant. This offspring would be more numerous than the stars, Genesis 15, 5, and would include those children adopted through the blood of Christ, you and me who are Christ followers. Beloved, this renewed covenant is for us as well. Verse 8 says, I will be their God. The Lord was talking about our faith in his covenant to Abraham. When we are yoked to Christ and stay faithful to make his name known in everything that we do, we will bear much fruit for the kingdom. We will see the gospel multiplied through those who believe. And best of all, we have a God that will never leave us nor forsake us. But the second promise of the covenant the Lord gives to Abraham and for us is that God justifies his people through their faith. Genesis 15, 6 said, Abraham believed the Lord and reckoned it to him as righteousness. The Lord reminds Abraham of this verse in in chapter 17, verse 1, when he says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. God had chosen this ungodly Aramean and promised to make him a great nation. But Abraham had remained childless. The promise seemed hopeless. But God, who delights in doing the humanly impossible, and not just in the physical, but in the spiritual. You see, the Lord takes this pagan man from Ur of the Chaldeans and now calls him blameless. The Lord counts him as righteous because of his faith. This, beloved, is much more of a miracle than a 90-year-old woman birthing a son to a 100-year-old man. You see, we're captivated by the physical. We ask ourselves, how in the world can a 90-year-old woman have a healthy baby boy to a 100-year-old man? But what should really just take us by awe is that a God would redeem sinners like us. Abraham would look away from himself and trust God to keep his word. God is no longer against Abraham, but for him. The Lord renews this truth that was found in Genesis 15, but saying in Genesis 17, 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. If God is your God, he works for you with all of his power. And so Abraham's justification by faith is a promise that God is for him. He will be God to him and work for him with great mercy and faithfulness. This is also true for us in Christ Jesus, both in this fallen age and the age to come. We have the promise of justification. Paul beautifully compares Abraham's justification to ours in Romans chapter 4. And and specifically, he says this in verses 19 to 25. He says, he did not weaken in faith, he being Abraham, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
Though unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Beloved, God's promise is for our spiritual sanctification. God's promise was was that he would justify his people through their faith. And this, this is more spellbounding than the physical reality. But the third promise of this covenant the Lord gives to Abraham and to us is that God's God promises his blessings were for more than just Abraham. All of this blessing promised to Abraham will be enjoyed someday by all the families of the earth. God promises to bless the world with the blessings of Abraham. Even though God had begun his redemptive reclaiming process with a single individual, he had the world in view. He had a plan, a clear purpose for the centuries. And it reaches even to us and it reaches through us to others. God's blessings are always meant to be a conduit of his glory to us, but others as well. So we must speak of the goodness of God to all those we come in contact with, knowing that we were blessed to be a blessing. We were blessed in order to make the miraculous known, to spread the gospel, the goodness, and the glory of God. But this brings us to the second stage of the Lord's covenant renewal with Abraham, and that's the conditions of the covenant. In Genesis 15, there were no conditions of the covenant. But here in Genesis 17, there appear to be conditions or even requirements that are replaced upon the covenant and upon Abraham. The Lord says to walk before him and to be blameless. And he gives Abraham a duty in the covenant relationship, that being circumcision. And circumcision was the sign of the covenant because covenants required the shedding of blood. And the penalty for denying circumcision was to be cut off, just like circumcision is cutting off. This sign was a visible and tangible reminder of God's covenant. Jesus would be cut off for our sake. The sign points to a child who would become the father of many nations. Isaac would be the child of the promise as a forerunner to the ultimate child of promise, Jesus the Christ. Paul tells the church at Colossae in Colossians 2, 11 through 12, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We should not jump to the conclusion that this makes the covenant of Abraham a covenant of works. Works are deeds done in self-reliance to earn God's favor by showing oneself deserving of grace. But the obedience which Abraham had, though not perfect, was the outcome of his faith in God's gracious promise. He would later obey God and offer his only son Isaac on the altar, not to earn God's favor, but because he was so confident in God's promises to be faithful to the covenant through Isaac. Obedience is the necessary outcome of truly trusting in God's promises, which we are granted only by grace and through faith. So notice that the original covenant comes first in Genesis chapter 15. And we're told in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed he had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. Then this is followed by this covenant renewal in Genesis chapter 17, by the reminder and the conditions. And the order here is important. God isn't about performance, but obedience. 
He fully accepts Abram and he fully accepts me because of his character and grace. Therefore, Abraham worshiped and obeyed him freely and we worship and obey him freely. Paul follows the same logic in Romans chapter four. Look at verses 11 through 12. It said he received the sign, he being Abraham, of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The covenant of Abraham is just like the new covenant under which we now live. For it too is conditional, not on works, but on the obedience of faith. John 3.36 says, He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. Hebrews 5.9 says, Christ became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe and to all who obey. The covenant of Abraham and the new covenant under which we live today are covenants of grace. Because in both, gracious promises are made to sinners who receive them through faith. And this faith depends so completely on wisdom power and the love of God that it delights us on obeying the Lord's commands. You see, this condition was really no condition at all. It was just evidence of the faith of Abraham that he would obey God. Our faith is what justifies us. Our obedience is the evidence of that faith. And this brings us to the third stage of the Lord's covenant renewal with Abraham. And that's Abraham's response to the covenant. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 17, we see that Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. And he said to him, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham and Sarah laughed because they thought it was impossible. This promise was too good to be true. And it was good, but it was also very true. In the same way, beloved, God's love and grace is so deep, so wide, and so very good that it should be unbelievable and it should sound too good to be true. Yet the truth is, His grace is true. It's abundantly true. So we cannot forget to be amazed and have joy over the miraculous wonder of the grace of God that He saved a wretch like me and a wretch like you. Does God's grace spellbound us and shock us? Are we paying attention to the miraculous nature of God each and every day, each and every moment? Have we become numb to the goodness of God? Abraham laughed because what God was promising was humanly impossible. However, he believed that God would be faithful somehow to what was being promised. And not only did Abraham laugh and stand amazed, but he had faith, and so he obeyed. Notice the rest of Genesis chapter 17. Yes, he laughs, laughs in utter amazement, laughs in in absolute stunning that God could do what seemed completely impossible. But then he obeys. It's recorded in verses 22 and 24 of Genesis chapter 7. When Abraham had finished, or when God had finished talking with Abraham, God went up from Abraham. Verse 23, Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house and 
bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Abraham does everything the Lord told him to do. He circumcises himself, Ishmael, and everyone under his house, no matter how they got there. Beloved, when we see God's grace, are we amazed? When we see God's grace, do we laugh that he could do such a work as saving us? But ultimately, do we serve God in faith? Do we believe that he will do what he said he will do? And in turn, do we obey him by taking this gospel to the nations? This brings us to the fourth and the last stage of the Lord's covenant renewal with Abraham. And that's the impossibility of human flesh to accomplish the covenant. God waits until it is humanly impossible for a child of the covenant to be born in order to show that it is not by human effort that the covenant people will be created. It's a work of divine and sovereign grace. The formation of a people of God for the sake of his name for all the families of the earth is not a human creation. That is why Ishmael would not qualify as the covenant child. Symbolically, he stood for the work of flesh, the product of Abraham's presumption and unbelief. No, this covenant would be accomplished only by God's miraculous work. Genesis chapter 18, the Lord says in verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. In other words, she'd gone through menopause. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? In other words, we don't even believe that Abram or Abraham had the ability to, to, to procreate, to have children anymore. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. These were two very old people. Sarah had already gone through menopause and could no longer physically become pregnant. What God was promising was completely impossible for Abraham and Sarah to contrive or to conjure up. But beloved, nothing is too hard for the Lord. He is a God of the miraculous and he wants us truly trusting by faith alone in him and not by our sight. And think about the forerunner this pregnancy became. There would be another pregnancy to a virgin who was betrothed to a man. She had not slept with a man. She was truly a virgin, and yet she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Not a work of human hands, of human contrition, but a work of God. And God was wanting to bring Abraham and Sarah to the point where they would know this is not possible by human intervention. This is only a work of God. And so, beloved, the Lord has made a covenant with us as well, full of his grace. And we obey by spending all of our aim for the glory of God to take the gospel to the nations. So I ask us, will we have faith that the Lord will accomplish his plan even when things seem impossible? Will we trust God for the impossible? Will we have faith that God will be able to accomplish the impossible? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 10. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices or offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we who we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. Beloved, our sanctification may seem impossible. Jesus the Christ, born of a virgin, who lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserved. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of God shed for us at the cross, death defeated, in order that we could be sanctified once and for all. Are we trusting God for the impossible? Are we believing in God for the possible? Well, we have faith that the Lord will accomplish his plan, even when things seem impossible. If we have this faith, then let's obey and let's follow Christ for his glory, for his gospel, and to see our culture and our world redeemed by the blood of Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. Today, we are praying for our domestic ministry and specifically our domestic adoption ministry. In light of the Dobbs decision, we are praying for so many different things, for more women to find Lifeline, especially in states where abortion is now unavailable. But also we pray that more expectant parents would hear of Lifeline and especially where abortion is now even more readily available. So let's pray for these expectant moms. Let's pray for more families. Let's pray for endurance for families that are waiting. And let's pray that the Lord would use adoption as a beautiful option for women going through unplanned, unexpected pregnancies. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this Dobbs decision that we were able to experience in June. We're thankful for what happened there. We just pray that expectant parents in all states would be able to get connected with the lifeline and to hear about life-giving options, but also to hear about the gospel. We pray that women would come and, and know that they have many options for life, many options where they can give life to their child and many options that they can live with as well. We also pray for our ministry partners, particularly pregnancy resource centers that are facing vandalism and, and persecution, that are receiving calls and, and, and threats. We pray for them. We pray that they'd have faith. We pray that they would trust in you and we pray that you protect them. We pray for our pregnancy counselors and domestic specialists for endurance and for joy in the work. We pray for expectant parents who are considering adoption in Huntsville and Birmingham, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Kansas. We are praying for expectant parents who are considering adoption in our new pregnancy counseling ministry states of Missouri and Washington and Tennessee. And we pray for all of the women in all 50 states where we are working, that they would hear of all the life-giving options and that maybe they would be able to call Lifeline and we'd be able to help them. And Lord, we pray that they will find us and their hearts will be softened in the gospel. Lord, would you call more families who match requests that we're seeing from birth mothers, more African-American families, more families with a high level of openness and to relationship with birth mothers, more families who are childless and called to transracial placements. And Father, would you be with the current matches and upcoming placements? We just ask that these families who are matched, that they would be open-handed and trusting with your plan for their children. 
We pray for discernment for these families, that they consider info summaries and, and situations where they may be able to parent a child. And Lord, would you provide a family for baby Grace who is waiting for a home while in interim care? And Lord, we also pray for these waiting families. We pray they have endurance, especially those who've been waiting for a long time and have experienced a match or a placement that might have failed. We just also ask that they would be ministry-minded in their wait and that they would know that you have called them according to your purpose and that you have a special time for when they are to adopt. We also just ask that, that they would have a peaceful patience and trust in you for a timing and a plan. We also pray for one specific family who recently experienced a second failed match. Would you give them grace? Would you give them endurance? Would you give them love? And would you give them just a sense of, of your presence with them? Oh Lord, we ask that you would be with pro-life people everywhere. Help us to be the hands and feet of you to women in unexpected pregnancies. And we pray that you would use us for your glory for your gospel and for your goodness. It's in your great name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.